This episode of the 126 Pod is brought to you by 49 Degrees, Experience 49. To see some of the amazing work that 49 Degrees has done, go to www.49degrees.com. Again, that's www.49degrees.com. Now, coming out of the bullpen, the lefty specialist, Jerry Blevins! To the one two six pod. In this episode, we are interviewing a former MLB player, Jerry Blevins. Yeah, I love it. Welcome, Jerry, to the one two six pod, man. We're happy that you were able to join us here. Howie, uh, I appreciate it, Jackson. That's a great introduction, my friend. You got a future in, in at least the announcing part of this. I love it. Yep. <laughs> JB, we want to go through uh, your career and some of the, the things that you experienced. We want to learn about what it's like as a as a major leaguer. We got a lot of questions we want to get to. We have some mailbag stuff from just uh, the the household here at the One Two Six Pop, but also some people in the Minster community uh, and abroad <laughs> want to know some things about uh, you and nicknames and postseason stuff. So we're gonna we're gonna jump right into it if that's okay with you, my man. Let's do it. I'm game. All right, so. To start off, we want to, as we go through your career, the first year, we'll go back to college for first. We'll just spend just a minute on there. Um, you walked on your college baseball team at the University of Dayton. Do you remember the day that you walked on, that, that tryout? I 100% remember it. Do you want me to elaborate a little bit? or Take it through, because I was there too, and uh, I, remember, I remember you down there, and I want to hear your thoughts on it, because... Uh, I'll let you get, jump into it. Tell me about that. No, that's great. I didn't know you were there. And that's it really exciting because I have only one view of it. And it's a really like, it's a memorable day for me. It was one of those things that just happened so fast that like, I'm just doing things. And like, you know, for the first two years of college, as you remember, I, I was in way over my head. I'm just learning, you know, things are, are intense. Um, I just remember I was there with my roommate at the time, Andy Knoll, who you may remember. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah because he, he ended up living across from a couple of our other teammates as well. So we, there was, who's still my best friend and I'll see him tomorrow. His, one of his kids has a birthday party. Nice. Um, but I remember just going down there, being excited, watching my friend play some, some shortstop second base and just throwing the ball as hard as I could uh, in the bullpen. But that's, that's my only recollection because like, I, it, it went fast. Everything just, just happened quickly. Well, I, I want to hear your side of that. <laughs> so we got there. So I think, so there's two kinds of tryouts, right? There's the invited uh, tryout, like a guy like Craig Stammen. And then there's, uh, then there's the actual tryouts, like or an hour before that practice. And, and you're there. And all I remember is I came up and there were about like an hour before it started. And I came up and Scott Sheen, Skeeter says, Hey, there's this, there's this guy down there. He's a lefty. He's really tall. He's kind of all over the place, but when he does hit the zone, he brings it about like mid upper 80s, got a big curve. 
and all um, it was me and like Sam Fisher and, and Jake, and they're like, ah, whatever. He's probably a, probably a bum or something. <laughs> so then there was a screen behind the catcher. I forget who was catching. I'm not sure if it was Quinter or Scotty K or whoever it was. But I look down there and I see a guy that's one, a couple inches taller than me. So I'm like, oh, he's tall. And at that time, they, the tall, lean guys, they thought they could, you know, muscle him up or whatever and bring a few more miles per hour. So I'm like, okay, so he's tall, big guy. He threw one like out the net. The next thing you know, I asked our pitching coach and he's like, where's he at him? You know, like the upper 70, low 70 or something. No, he's like 88. Second gulp, <laughs> second gulp went through a few of them. I was like, oh crap. So he's taller. He throws harder. And then he threw one of those big swooping curveballs, And I'm like, and he's got a really big curveball. <laughs> I think someone looked at me, like smacked me. They're like, well, there goes your spot this year. <laughs> and we kind of laughed it off like, ha, 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 not funny. And then an hour later, Jerry's practicing with us. And it's, hey, I'm Jerry Blevins, I'm your new teammate. Nice to meet you. So at first, we're kind of, we walked in like we're, like we're so great and so good, which we weren't, by the way. And then I see this guy who is taller, throws harder with a bigger curveball than anybody else in the team. And it's like, oh, crap, this guy may have just took our spot. <laughs> what, why was he not, Why was he in the tryout? So, Oh, that's it, awesome. Yeah, it was one of those to where we're like, how the heck did, we don't need to get into all the colors we could spend hours on that stuff and all the all the other shenanigans that went on through college and that but it was like how the heck did this happen but it was um when it did when you joined us then it was kind of like here we go and it was um it was a lot of fun and it was but i remember that moment specifically with that net behind the catcher down the third baseline bullpen and you letting it rip out there which was <laughs> uh which was a lot of fun so um oh man thank you for that story i i literally don't remember seeing you guys back there but I'm glad I didn't because I I was I was still intimidated for like the first two years I learned so much from you guys so thank you for sharing that yeah Skeeter I remember Skeeter because he would graduated but he was kind of hanging out there and, and he's like hey this guy's pretty good it's like oh yeah right and and yes he was pretty good uh <laughs> fast forward a, a, a decade plus in the major league so uh June 7th 2004 with the 516th pick in the 2004 MLB draft Chicago Cubs select Jerry (laughs) oh man by the way Jackson that that like enthusiasm that's how I heard it when it happened the truth of the matter is it's even like today they televised some of it, but what I did was I was in Columbus. Um, we were getting ready. Like, I think the next day we were going at it for with the Columbus all Americans, the summer league team. I think the next day we were going to uh, the Cape to play some of the Cape teams and my living situation there, you know, you have host families. It wasn't great. I wasn't excited about being there. And I was like, I just, I'm watching this draft thinking like, just just draft somebody draft get me, me and it, out of here get me out of here and it was like two like two days it was supposed to be two separate days um there's like the first 20 and then everybody else I wasn't expected to get drafted that first day um because I was told I was like expect to mid 40s you know um and I got drafted in the 17th round and I was like oh my gosh what do I do I I had to watch it on a computer screen and the names are just going down so it goes click and then two <laughs> minutes later, there's like a new name. And I was like watching this for hours and it got to my name. And I'm like, oh my, oh my God, I got to call my mom. I did it. 
where do I go? What do I do? And they, then they didn't contact me for like three days. And so I'm just like, uh, I don't have a, uh, I didn't have an agent. I'm calling T-Bell, who was the only guy I knew that had any experience. <laughs> T-Bell's like, just relax. They'll call you. They'll figure it out. Just go home, do your thing. And I was like, okay. So I'm like staring at my parents' phone, waiting for them to call. And they did. And I signed and went straight to Boise. But that was a, that draft day was super cool. I remember it vividly and i got out of there as quick as i could <laughs> hold on so you didn't have an agent so you had three days and you signed and i'm sure there was a signing bonus of some kind mm -hmm. did you did you have an agent to help negotiate a sign did you get an attorney or tell me just tell me about what that was like no so it was uh, kind of strange so i i had i called um t-bell and he was like look man just take your time you you're that you have all summer to figure it out. And I was like, well, I just, you know, it's going to take a lot for me to not come back to Dayton because I was, I just got good. You know, I just started really pitching good. at Dayton um, and I was enjoying it. And I had, I had not enjoyed baseball as much my first two years. Um, some of the environment a little bit, I loved, I loved it, but the environment was a little bit kind of rough for me at times. And so I just, I just took a deep breath going into my junior year and I was like, all right, just have fun with the game. And I loved it again. And I was nervous about, you know, going to the pro pro ball and, and not having fun with it. And so I was really anticipating going back to Dayton. Um, and so when they called and they made an offer, I was like, in my head, I was like, all right, if they, if they pay for school, if I can get a year of school back and a bonus that would also pay for a year of school, depending on how much time I need, then I'll go. And they offered me, I think Dayton at the time was 27, five for a, for a year. Mm -hmm. And they offered me 25 at first. And I was like, I held the phone away and I was like, Oh my gosh, they're going to give me $25,000. <laughs> and I was like, uh, make it 35. And I said it myself and they go done. And I was like, wait, what should I have said? <laughs> what I mean, that they didn't even negotiate back. And so um, they, we, I signed at my parents' house. Um, my, uh, who I, I still talk to, uh, the scout for the Cubs at the time who works with the Rangers now. But I was the first guy he signed. He was like a brand new scout. I was the first guy that he recommended. Um, and so there was no like precedent there. So he came, we signed, I went to Boise and the rest, you know, was still crazy, but like that was day one it was when the day I got drafted and the day I signed. That's wild. So you, you were drafted as a starter because you, you were a starter that last year. Well, I think most of your time in college, but then you went into professional baseball as a starter. When did you become uh, they say you're going to the pen and when did you find that role, uh, as a, as a lefty guy out of the bullpen? Um, so I show up in Boise for first day, right? Um, that was short season. So I made it before the season started. So I got to go to their like meet the team banquet. I'm meeting my teammates. I'm meeting, you know, the organization that some of the, the host families in Boise. And I get to the first practice the next day and our pitching coach goes, uh, are you, uh, what, what do you do? Are you a starting pitcher or a reliever? And I was like, I'm a starter. And he looked at me and he looked me up and down. He goes, <laughs> that body's not going to hold up <laughs> as a starter. You're in the pit. And I was like, Oh, okay. I've never done it before. And he goes, just go down there. We'll call down and we'll tell you, we, you know, they gave me signs and whatever he goes. And then we'll tell you when to get in. And, you know, I've been a reliever literally ever since I think I made two starts 
in 05 as like a in low A ball um, just to help a team out. And then I made one start in the big leagues just to kind of, you know, make up for injuries too. Um, but uh, I was a reliever. It fit me really well. And I'm glad they made that change that early so I can learn. So when you th- we think about the lefty specialists throughout the course of time, and I didn't, I'm not sure exactly when, when it became a thing to become the, the, the Paul Ossemachers, the, then you go to Andrew Miller, the Arthur Rhodes, Jerry Bl- who are the best? I'm kind of fast forwarding in our timeline of some of the things we want to talk about, but who are the, in your mind, the best lefty specialists to come out and, and get that left-handed hitter out against the other team? So there's, there's one that really stands out in my mind. Um, and he's Javi Lopez. He long time, you know, lefty. Uh, I was in Oakland when he was in San Francisco winning world series. And I, I just watched him work because I wasn't a lefty specialist until I got to New York. I was a full inning guy, maybe an inning plus sometimes. And when I got to New York, they're like, look, this is what we need you to do. They have some really big lefties in their lineup. Um, you have to get them out. Otherwise, you know, this is what we need from you. You need to do it as a professional. I'm like, perfect. This is my job. I can do that or I can't and I'm failing. So it's, it's pretty easy. Um, but Javi Lopez was a, a guy I watched a lot. There was a, a lefty for the Cardinals for a long time. Then Randy Choate, kind of a submarine guy. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. And so those are the two guys that were kind of my contemporaries that I got to, to, to follow along with. So those are, especially Javi Lopez, the way he went about his business, but they're both a little more funky than me. Um, even though I'm funky as not as well, but yeah, those guys were, were the front runners. You got better hair than those guys though. I do. I do now. That's for sure. It's I got full on COVID hair. I'm, I'm keeping the locks too. I think. Love it. You got traded as both a minor leaguer in 2007, along with Rob Bowen and Jason Kendall. For Jason Kendall. For Jason Kendall. My bad. Can you describe the process of what happens and how that works? Is it like how Jonah Hill does in Moneyball? Is it the same regardless of what level you are at? Just need to say one thing. We literally asked this like same question to Craig if it's like Moneyball. Yeah, but Craig never got traded. Jerry's got traded. A couple yeah, of times. Craig. Yeah, I've been traded a couple of times. What's it's it like? It's crazy. So in the minor leagues, um, we had a day off. I was in Double A in Tennessee, and with the Cubs at the time, and we had a day off, and we had golfed, and we're sitting there like in our apartment, just sitting there in Sports Center, and we're watching, and then all of a sudden, on the cross the ticker, we see a you know breaking news. You know, Jason Kendall traded for you know, Rob Bowen and Jerry Blevins. I'm like, what? And we waited for the whole line to go back through. And then all of a sudden I see my name going across. I go, holy crap, I got traded. I was like, what do you mean? And so that's literally what it's like for players, Jackson. We are the last to know. There's very few, there's very few moments where like the media knows, the team knows um, before we find out because the only time that we'll find out is when it's actually set for sure. Otherwise they're like, you know, there's pending physical, that kind of stuff. There was one moment with the Mets um, uh, when Wilmer Flores was supposed to get traded in 2015 yeah. Yeah. and he cried on the field. Yeah, like that was, that. That's why they don't tell players because we can't handle it, you know, in that kind of sense. But I've been traded 
twice. Yeah, twice and then three times. Like, uh, and and when uh, in 2019, I was with A's and AAA, and I got traded to the the Braves. But that was more, you know, out of respect for me. They were like, "Hey, what are you feeling?" I was like, "I have my out and out in my contract coming up. If I'm not in the big leagues, I'm going to take it." And they're like, all right, so we're going to, you know, look for a trade for you because we don't see you coming up for us by then. And so they literally talked me through the process and I got traded to Atlanta. Like I was in on the deal. They're talking like, hey, would you sign for this and this? And it it was out of respect for me being like a kind of a veteran guy. But most of the time it's just, hey, good job. Thanks for your all your work. Uh, good luck. Uh, somebody else will call you from their team and you off. Get out of our clubhouse. So when we when you we're thinking about so we we're talking about like when you show up to the new we're, Jackson and I earlier about when you show up to the new dugout the clubhouse and we were talking about the natural when Roy Hobbs shows up in the movie and he gets the how about this number this number the equipment guy so Jackson you were you were we had a question you wanted to ask so do you get your do you like get to pick your own number or do you just get it assigned by like the manager when you get traded. Yeah. So you do get to pick if you, if you have time in the big leagues, like they'll there, it's the equipment manager. The guy that runs the clubhouse is the guy that sets out the uniform. So it's not the manager. It's the, the, the clubhouse manager. So the guy that, that runs everything. Um, if you're traded in the minor leagues, you kind of just show up and they give you this, or if you're young and you get called up, they give you a number. Like my debut number was 64. No, I don't yeah. think there's anyone that would choose 64. That's so, not the offensive <laughs> line. Yeah. Yeah. And so if you had a number going in, the equipment manager will call you or shoot you a text and be like, hey, are you cool with this number? Or if you have another number, if it's already taken, they'll give you some options. So you have a little bit of say, but for the most part, it's it's here's your jersey and put it on. So did, why did you pick number 13 and 39? So 13 is my favorite number. It's my lucky number. It has been kind of my whole life. Um, I just, I think it looks great on a Jersey. I think it like a, from a football Jersey and Dan Marino to, you know, left-handed pitchers and, and Billy Wagner. Like, I just think 13 is a solid number and um, being left-handed uh, we're weird anyway and we're looked at a little bit different and it was only us that would want it at the time now it's a pretty popular number i think everybody wears it it's usually like latin players or left-handed pitchers have it and that's it um but i just think it's an awesome number man i love it it's a great number it was my uh, it was my little league number i think i was always wanted 13 and i'm then, always wearing 23 i think jackson hey, that's it he wears it for he wears it for MJ though. I don't think he wears it for like uh, Rhino or anybody else. Uh, was twenty three? Nobody. There's only you only wear it for MJ. Even even LeBron wears it for MJ. Yeah, yeah. So we're, you're talking about getting traded in, in some of those transactions. You went to arbitration in 2015. It may have happened more than that, but just the article that I was reading. So we're talking about like just the process of arbitration and when you went, when they went into that hearing, you know, you end up winning that, but can you tell us about the process of arbitration? And is it, is it weird, Jerry, that the, the, the team's offering you this and you're negotiating that. And as you're, this is happening through, I think most time through spring training, right. As you're kind of getting ready for the season and the contracts are getting figured out. Is it odd? Is it awkward? Tell, tell us about how that works and just kind of some of the emotions there and conversations maybe between you and the, the team or you and the other players. Yeah, it's really awkward. Um, 
a lot of guys can't handle it. Uh, a lot of players, because a team, literally their job at that point is to pay you as little as possible. And it's your agent's job and your job to maximize your worth. And so luckily I found an agent in Bobby Barrett, who's a dear friend of mine. I found him, you know, in 07 uh, and I trust him and I know he's really smart. I've seen him do really good work. And so I listen to him. And so when you're, so you go to the hearing, they negotiate back and forth a little bit. You have a deadline. They say, we're going to offer you this. And you say, I'm worth this. And if you can't figure it out, that's when you go to arbitration. And, and real quick, Jerry, you say you're, you go to, do you go to, is it just your representative? Yeah. So it's me on one side of the table. So like, it, think of it like a long table where you see all these like executive meetings, right? So there's three panel judges. So there's three arbitration judges. And then these on are, one these side, are, these are, sorry to interrupt. These are normal judges that do other types of contract, maybe not all baseball or other contractual type hearings and negotiations for other walks of the professional world. Absolutely. They're all arbitration judges by trade. They know the law, they look at, you know, worth. And so it's them, they're those three. And then it's myself at the head across sitting across from the team. So it was me and then our GM for the nationals at the time after the 2014 season, Mike Rizzo, and then my agent and then their head general counsel. So it was me and my agent, the nationals and there and his counsel. And then on my side is the players association on their side, it's the commissioner's office. So it goes, we present, they present, we counter argument, they counter argument break. And then um, our union presents their case. Then the, the, the commissioner's office presents their case. And it's literally uh, like slugfest and legal terms. Like I've never been, I already knew the process going in and I, I really enjoyed it because I, you know, I, at Dayton, I was like pre-law, I was political science. Like I like this. It, it was dirty. Like the things that they said, they're like, apart from like, you're only worth this. It was basically like, you're lucky to be in the big leagues. You're, you're just a guy that we enjoy having around. You're not worth anything you should just take this. They used so many, like the commissioner's office was the one that got personal. Um, it was pretty like, I enjoyed it, but it was, it's like, it, you get to see the business side of it versus, you know, the, the fantasy. And so you get a little bit of a peek behind the curtain. Some guys can't handle that because their, their ability is like, their ability is this facade of confidence and they think they're the best player ever. Whereas I understood where I fit in the game. I know I'm not, you know, Araldis Chapman. <clears throat> I know I'm not Mariano Rivera. I'm not the best ever. So I'm not asking for this. My agent and I, and we went through it. They're like, this is where you fit in. These are your comparables. Look at your numbers. You're this guy. This is what you should get paid. And I was okay with it. And I, I wanted to fight for it. So I ended up winning. It was great. It got me traded, but I, I won. <laughs> so just to, just to go back. So the, the commissioner's office is quote unquote, for lack of better words, like negotiating on behalf and alongside the team against you. Yeah. Would that be correct to say it's, 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 it's fact. So it's me, my agent and our players association versus the team and the commissioner's office. So the commissioner's office is literally the association for the owners. 
So they, yeah. they, they're, yeah. And they have bottomless pockets. So we had like, you know, six people, there's a limit, but they have an army of people, you know, looking up how bad you are and you hear it, you hear how bad you are. And a lot, like, it's crazy. You hear, and then they're at the end, they're like, it's, it's just business. So like, I understand that's your job is to, it's, this is the ugly side of it. And some people can't handle it. That's wild. That's fascinating. I, I've yeah. always been curious about that. So you negotiated your own contract using data from, well, while we were using data from baseball reference, of course, <laughs> what brought you to do that? And tell us about the process of negotiating on your own behalf. Well, uh, my agent, like I said, did, they did all the work, my agency, like Excel, they would like put a case together. Then they would be like, this is keeping me informed. I wanted to be involved in the process more more on informed. So the, they look at it. Most of it is like your, your comparables, the guy that is, has the much service time as you that has comparable stats. What did he make? in years past. And so it's based on what guys made before. And that's also why I found it important for me is to, to make what I'm worth, or at least the maximum amount I can, because I know the next version of me guys that'll get compared to me, get that same amount. So when I push, yeah, everybody behind me and our brotherhood and our association gets pushed up too. And so I found it really important. So it's basically like your stats versus a guy that had similar stats to you in the past and what he got paid. Yeah, I remember when that when that happened. Just reading about it and the, some of the stories that you did that, and I was like, "Holy smokes, what what's Jerry doing?" And then, like as you were quoted in some of the stories that were about it, it's like, "Well, that makes sense." And just exactly what, how you put it there, um, it just that using baseball reference. And when you go to the site, which everyone does, it just it tells you those guys like you, service time stats, all you know where you're at in your career, all those types of things. So. Um, that's just, that's unique. And I don't, how many guys do that, Jerry? Do many kind of go, go to arbitration? Well, so, well, not arbitration, like, but you, when you negotiate your contract yourself uh, later in your career after arbitration, do, do many people do that? Like negotiate their own kind of without? No, well, I never, I don't know. I don't know what you read. I never really negotiated my own contract. So okay. my later contracts, I, it was a, it was a conversation between, in myself and the team and also my agent but it was it was I'm completely aware of everything and they're saying look we can't pay you this this would we could offer you that um I just like to be involved and I and and it's knowing who you are knowing what you're worth and knowing who you're not more importantly because you're yeah. like look I'm not you know I'm not worth eight million dollars a year at that point yeah you know I'm not ignorant to the fact so give me what what you want my services this is what it costs and so it was more along the basis of just just understanding where you are. And I think in all walks of life, the more you understand your value, the, the better off you're going to be. Yeah. Yeah, I know we're, we're getting close to time. So we have a couple of just mailbag questions we'll, we'll fire through here uh, and then we'll, bring it. we'll get you, uh, we'll get you, uh, we'll get you back to the kiddos. Jackson, I'll let you fire away with this first one. Have you ever, uh, um, have you ever warmed up during the bullpen during a no hitter? Uh, yes. <laughs> is it, did you guys know this already? Or is that a random? We've Craig? heard, we've, we, we, we've heard Craig. some news. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Craig. Yeah. It, it cost me a bonus. It cost me a bonus in my contract, but it was the best money that I didn't get ever. It was, I warmed up for Craig warmed up beside me for a lot of it. 
the last game of the season, Jordan Zimmerman threw a no hitter. And I, all I needed was one more appearance to reach a, a $50,000 bonus which was just appearances and the son of a gun threw a no hitter. It was great. It's an amazing moment and a funny thing to think about, but like, come on, man. Uh, he signed a huge contract. I was like, dude, just kick it back. Yeah. Something. So did <laughs> this, did he, or did the team know in the, in the situations like yours and maybe others, whether it's, you know, hits or plate appearances or whatever it is, they're very aware of that, of like those, those, you know, kind of triggers and contracts. Yeah, the manager, so manager level and the manager. So we had Matt Williams and and uh, he literally like would come up to guys towards the end of the season, and be like, what do you need? Is there is there bonuses? Because he played. And yeah. so he's like, all right, we're going to get you to this point. And they really push for guys. Uh, a lot of, you know, some organizations and some some staff will tell a manager, hey, avoid this guy. Um, and for lucky for me, I've been around like amazing managers that will just like fire me then if you don't want a guy to play for money like that's bullshit we're trying to excuse my language we're trying to win games here so we're going to push these guys forward and i've been lucky i've been around some good guys better postseason celebration the 2012 oakland a's or 2014 washington nationals po best postseason better postseason celebration yeah, uh, definitely, definitely the 2012 Oakland days. Um, that season was special, man. Uh, the the chase, the race we made, the track and down, like chasing down the the Rangers, winning it on the last last game of the season. Um, we really were underdogs. When I was with the Nationals, we were so good. We underachieved when where we got. Um, so it was kind of like we expected to be there. Uh, so it was great celebration. It was a fun, fun year getting to play with Craig was a, you know, career highlight, like a, a lifelong thing, but the 2012 A's were so magical, man. We made such a push. Um, I still get chills thinking about that season. I think if we get by Verlander, he beat us twice in a five game set. Yeah. We ended up having to like, we were the, we had the top seed and because they had just expanded the playoffs, we ended up having to play their first two games at Detroit and then the last three at home. And we lost both of those games. I think if we get by Verlander in game five, I think we, I really think we win that world series. Uh, we had an unbelievable team uh, and just like great chemistry. It was like super fun, but those celebrations were epic. I think we were like the, the walk-off, you know, pie in the face team. <laughs> That's beautiful. What, um, Okay, just a couple more, then we'll let you get going. Sorry. No, keep it going. I'll, I'll let you know. I'll, I'll cut you off. All right, cool. Um, My boys are in bed. Perfect. Is the rule change that with this year that says a relief pitcher has to go to three, three hit a minimum of three hitters, good or bad for baseball? Um, that's a two-parter. I think it's bad for baseball because I think it takes a manager's decision out of his hands. Um, I also think that it was the left-handed specialist, the lefty specialist was coming out of the game. Anyway, there's so much talent in this game, especially in the bullpen guys just have electric stuff and it plays to both lefties and righties. So my job was a die. I'm a dying breed anyway. And they, it was just an antiquated rule they made just to make a change to say they did something. So I don't like taking 
the choice of a manager to do his job. I don't like taking options out of his hand, but also, like I said, it was, it was on its way out anyway. Yeah. Uh, you go, Jack. I know you want to ask this one. Beat it, Jackson. When and where did you get the nickname Gordo? <laughs> Is it from the movie Gordo? <laughs> no. So Gordo, Gordo means fat, fat guy in Spanish. Clearly, I am not a fat guy. No. Um, so it came from uh, Joanna Cespedes, who was my teammate in Oakland for two years, both that 12 and 13 season. And then we played together in 15, 16, and 17, and 18 in New York. Um, one of my favorite human beings on the planet. He didn't know my name at first. So he was like, hey, skinny guy. Hey, Gordo. So it was like a, a you know, a fun loving nickname. He still calls me Gordo to this day. I, he, I get a text randomly and he'd be like, hey, Gordo, what's up? How's the family? Um, most people call me Flacco, which is what like as Drupal Cabrera, which means skinny guy, which is fitting. But I guess it's like calling a, a really large man tiny. So <laughs> <laughs> what uh, pregame routine? What time do you get to the part if it's a if it's a seven o'clock p.m. local time game? You get to the park at what time and just take us through kind of that routine. What's what happens with the time you pull in and leave your home and get there and all that goes in between then. So I like to get to the park for a 7 p.m. game at like two o'clock. That gives me time to eat a good meal right off the bat, get my old butt into the hot tub and get stretched out. It takes a lot of work for an older player to get ready because of what we do is so physically demanding. And so I do hot tub stretch you know, a little bit of a workout and then out for BP, play catch, um, come back in, get another meal. We're getting close to game time. Go out for the anthem, go to the bullpen with the guys, turn right back around, hop back into the hot tub in the first inning. Really? Um, you know, and start that same routine over because, you know, from four o'clock to seven o'clock, all that sedentary time you get, you know, relaxed. So it's like you stretch, workout then go and have to stretch and do it again. And so I'm out to the outside and back out to the bullpen by like the third inning. And then I'm moving around constantly watching the lineup. You know, usually I can tell like, all right, Harper's up in third. I can watch the game and kind of flow, you know, I can see the lineup, know kind of where I'm going to be. And then I'll follow the game along and I'll, I'll stay hot accordingly. How many of your teammates were multi-sports, multi-sport athletes in high school and college? Um, very few were multi-sport college guys. Um, there are some that, that played a few sports. Like um, I played with Seth Smith, who went to Ole Miss. I played with him. He's an outfielder, played with Oakland, had a great career, Colorado. Uh, he was actually Eli Manning's backup when, at Ole Miss um random he him and Todd Helton played together in Colorado Todd Helton was Peyton's backup and he was Eli's backup just random um so not many two sport college athletes but literally majority of guys in my generation played multiple sports I'm gonna say 85 percent of the American guys it's a little more specialized in in Latin countries um, because they, you know, they come into the academy at 16. So at like 12, they're like, I have a chance to change my family's path or I'm going to be a pro. But most of the guys, there's a lot of most, there's a, a ton more specialization in today's game. But 
I encourage guys and, and, and most people I know encourage people to stay athletic in multiple sports. It's just so good for you. You don't get burned out and you learn different skills doing different things. Did you play two sports in high school? I played three. I played uh, football, baseball, and basketball. What, uh, what position did you play in football? Uh, quarterback. Nice. I wanted to be a receiver, but I went to a really small high school, Arcadia High School here in Northwest Ohio. Um, I think I graduated with 39 people. So we're very limited. Uh, and so I played quarterback. Uh, and I, as you recall, and during my tryout at Dayton, my walk-on tryouts, I just threw the ball hard. In football, I literally threw the ball as hard as I could. And like, why didn't you catch that? It's like 85 off your chest. <laughs> no, I didn't have, I didn't have any touch. And, you know, we didn't have the the facilities to kind of know any better. So I would just hit the guys in the chest and the hands, break thumbs and be like, come on, catch the ball. <laughs> it, uh, it's funny you said the so 39. So Jackson starts uh, junior high football next year and their class probably is the, that same size or pretty darn close 40, maybe. And we have 50, 50. So there's, uh, but oh. I think just like a loose count here on in May, you know, two, a month before weightlifting starts, which is, which is crazy to think about uh, that. There's I think 15 or 16 kids that are going to play football for that 14, 14 for that, for that seventh be, grade team. So be ready to play both ways again. <laughs> <laughs> it's good for you, man. I love it. Like football, we were terrible too. I think I won one game my senior year, but I love football, man. There's nothing like that feeling you get of Friday night running through the tunnel. Like it's just a different, if you know, I love MMA, like that fighting, there's something about putting yourself out there. It's great. And it's like a gladiator thing. So good luck in football, man. I won't be throwing at 85. In <laughs> yeah. I hope you have a little bit more finesse than I do. <laughs> yeah. Can, uh, can you describe an Oakland A's fan versus a, a, a Nationals fan versus a Mets fan versus a Braves fan? I'm not I'm not going to ask you to say who's better, or who's best, or who's crazy or anything like that. But can if can you tell the difference between that? Just as you're you know walking out to the bullpen at the start of the game, or you're coming into the game in the seventh or eighth inning, is there a difference in the type of fan? And we're talking, you know literally different sides of the, the country and, you know, all, all that goes with that. It, what's the difference between those types? Cause everyone will say, Oh, the A's fans are the craziest. So the Mets fans are the toughest or the Cubs fans are the, what, what's there, it? There what's are it? differences. It's a, that's a good question. Like I, I loved all of the cities that I played in. I really did. Like I'll start with Atlanta. I mean, that is a steeped in tradition fan base. Like they're awesome. It's generations. They have such a lock on that whole region of, of professional sports. There's nobody to compete against them around. And they've been so good for so long. And they do a great job of like bringing around they like I ran in, they, they bring around their ex legends. Like I ran into Hank Aaron, uh, Bobby Cox was around Phil Necro, like would pop his head in and like, our, like, like they're just around Tom Glavin does TV Frank like they do a great job of keeping the tradition of the Atlanta Braves. And so people feel that that region feels that. And plus that new ballpark is awesome to catch a game in. Um, so their fans are like really like familial, like this, I, my dad was a, uh, a fan. My grandma was a fan. Like it's just a, f a family type environment. Um, 
Washington was really cool. They got a lot of it's it, you meet so many different kinds of people because very rarely are people from DC. So when you play there, when another team comes in, there's always a big pocket of fans from the other team because there's so many people living there from every everywhere else. And if you were a longtime baseball fan in the DC area, chances are you're a Orioles fan because that's what you had. And it's close enough uh, uh, proximity to where you could, you could get to a game. It's like us, you going to the Reds, you know, it's that kind of proximity, maybe even closer than that. Um, and their fans are, their fans are really intense and they're getting, they're getting better every year because that's steeped in tradition. They just won a world series. So like, it's completely different from 14 when I was there. Um, Oakland is amazing too, but like, I love Oakland and New York. I'll, I'll, I'll bring them together because those are like my two favorite, my two favorite homes. Those are, if I could like, I would be torn on who I could choose if like, I'm not going to the hall of fame, but if I were, and they asked me what I wanted to go in as, would it be an A or a Met? I would be torn. Um, because I love both my, my time and both, and they're still completely different. Um, but they both are similar fan bases because they're like the blue collar, hardworking, you know, just like, I am a true fan of your, the sport. They love you. They push forward. Um, for the Mets, they have the Yankees across town and everybody loves the Yankees. And so they're like, I don't want to be a Yankee fan. I'm a Met fan. And so there's that camaraderie and Oakland has the same thing with the giants right across the Bay. Everybody is like, it's cool to be a Giants fan. Um, and so they're like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to be cool. I'm not trendy. I'm like a really good fan. Um, Oakland's fans are, are different in the sense that like at the Coliseum and the bullpen, they're right behind me. And so you see familiar faces. I literally know all of them. Like I, every day I'd walk down from the, the, the dugout or our clubhouse down to the bullpen and I'd see 50 people from you to me away, like me to you away, like three feet. And I talk to them. I know their family. They bring, I was like, Oh, you brought your daughter today. I haven't seen her in a couple of weeks. She's like, Oh, I was at school. You know, it's, it's more familial that way too. And then in New York, everything's so intense. There's just so many people. And I feel like Met fans just get it. I feel like they're like, Hey, they, you know, a Yankee fan, if they saw Aaron judge would be like freaking out, trying to get selfies and, you know, Aaron judge has to hit. Whereas a Met fan sees Jacob DeGrom, they know it's his start day. They're like, hey, go get him. You know, they're not going to bother him. They're like, hey, you got a game today. You know, go get him. Like, it's just a different feel. And I, I love them both. But everything's magnified in New York because of just the volume. So you, you, I can talk about that all day. So I'll cut myself off there. Yeah. Well, there's there's some follow-ups. We'll get the last two questions. This guy's got to get to bed here. Um, no, no. Yeah, yeah, you do. <laughs> So you have 40K Twitter followers. How did you get to the big 40 grand? <laughs> a lot of it is like just me being genuine. I think like I, I show my personality and I really use Twitter in its infancy. And like being in the Bay Area when Twitter kind of started, it was really cool because I got to go to the headquarters and like be a part of that tech kind of coming around. So I embraced it pretty early. Um, and I just use it as a way for me to express myself to, uh, a fan base that is really kind of starved for content. Baseball is really different than the other sports because 
the other sports and like have so much more interaction um, with their fans. Whereas baseball, you kind of like go to the game and then you go home. I think it's changing now, but I just wanted to show that I'm a human being. I wanted to, you know, say something funny or, you know, talk about a movie that I like, or, you know, I like to smoke cigars or a new tequila I tried, or, you know, just enjoy it. And just, I, I would think it's people just appreciate somebody that's genuine. And if you can, if you can be yourself uh, on a public forum like that and hold yourself accountable and be willing to take some kickback when it's not going so great, and not just want to bask in glory when things are going great. I think um, they find that endearing. Yeah, there's so there's a, what you just said there is is awesome, and I think describes you know who you are and the real person you are and humanizing those things. There's also a few things that we'll touch on, and hopefully the next time of cigars, tequila, movies. So there's a lot of things I want to unpack there the next time we hook yeah. back up because I think we have uh, more to talk about there. But last question. Uh, that we have here that we um, that we had for you. There, actually, we have a lot more questions, but the last one we're going to ask tonight, Jackson. You have four career at bats. You got your first career hit in 2018, and you're like your second last season. Is it a better feeling striking out a guy or getting a base hit? Ah, uh, getting a base hit, like hands down. <laughs> it really is. Like I, I remember it, Jerry. I remember watching the highlight. I remember. We, yeah, we have a text thread of just you know, a lot of the guys from UD and that, and then when it happened, we're like, hell yeah. yeah. yeah so you, tell me about it. Like just the, I remember the, I remember the highlight, we pulled it up, but tell us about walking up. Cause you only got four of them. Four of them. So I'm pretty good. Like I can hit the ball. I have no power, like clearly, but I, I know I'm not, I'm pretty good at putting the bat to the ball. Like anytime we play a game, like pitchers BP, and we would be like, all right, you got to get the runner over here by hitting behind him, put a bunt down. Like, I'm good at that stuff. Like, I, I have good eye-hand coordination. And so I would always bother our coaches because I'm in the National League now. There is an opportunity that I'm going to get up. And so I'd be like, hey, let me get, let me get some reps in the cage. And they're like, no, don't get hurt. Shut up. If you're hitting, something's really wrong. I'm like, I know. But if it happens, I want to be ready. And so our uh, assistant hitting coach in New York, Pat Rustler, would like sneak me some like soft toss. And like once a week, I'd get in there and I'd take like 30 swings. Nothing. I'm not like trying to go deep. I just want to see a ball come in just in case. And it's fun. Practicing hitting is way more fun than practicing pitching. No doubt. <laughs> and so, you know, work. I come out of the game like off the field, we we're up like 20 to four and I get a clean inning. I come off the field. I'm literally batting last. So I'm up ninth because I came in right after. And so I'm sitting there and we're like, you know, feeling good in the dugout and we're hitting around again. I'm like, Oh man, that sucks for this guy. Like that. I feel your pain, buddy. We've all been there. Um, and my spot's starting to come up and Mickey, um, our ma manager's like, Hey, if your spot comes up, you want to hit? And I look at him, I go, hell yes, I want to hit. I was like, I've only, I've only done it three times. Like I need, I want to get a hit. And so I'm getting up, like I'm on deck. A guy gets a walk or a hit in front of me. The bases are loaded. And 
I'm walking to the plate and they make a pitching change. And I'm like, oh, crap. They're making a change. Uh, they bring in a position player. And I'm like, oh, man, I, I, you know, what's going to happen? Am I going to get hit? And I watch him warm up and he's literally lobbing the ball in. And now I'm like getting psyched out. I was like, I, I haven't practiced that. <laughs> you know, it's something different. I've only swung the bat 30 times in off of live pitching in 12 years. You know what I mean? It's something completely foreign. Now I'm going to do this on national TV. So I'm like in my head, I'm warming up. I'm like, all right, I, I got to swing at the first pitch no matter what. And if I don't hit this, I'm going to be in trouble. So I get up, I'm like, all right. And he throws it and he lobs it in. I'm like, oh my God, it is coming. I was like, all right. And I lined it, I lined it to center. I'm like, so happy. I still love it to this day. I've got the ball and bat over there. Like it's one of my high career highlights. It'll never be uh, lived down for me. I never thought I would get it. It's so hard to hit in the big leagues. Um, but if you, if you want to see what it's like just yesterday, Tommy Hunter, who is a former teammate of mine played together, older guy like me, he's 34 play. He's got like 12 years in the big leagues. He just got his first hit yesterday. And if you want to see pure joy, watch his interview, watch his celebration. Like it's, it's legit. He's, I texted him yesterday. Hold on. I'm gonna pull this up. We were texting after the game and it's hilarious because it's that's that's we play a kids game right and if you don't think that it's pure joy let me let me just read to you our exchange let me find it i i text him you got a hit like all caps and he goes i got an f and hit oh my goodness and i go i'm so happy he goes it was the greatest thing i've ever done <laughs> the greatest thing i've ever done he has he has three kids <laughs> he's got 12 years in the big leagues like and he says getting a hit in the big leagues is the greatest thing I've ever done. If that doesn't say it, uh, I'll, I'll, this is my last part about that. I said, uh, the best brother, keep the ball, the bat, the helmet, the full uniform, first base, dig up home plate because you scored a run after, after the home run and then have both teams sign up, sign the lineup card. Like it's, it's the coolest. It's, it's striking a guy out in a big situation. I'm supposed to do that. I'm not supposed to get a hit and it's the greatest. <laughs> That is awesome. That I love the exchange that you have them dig it's up the so plate. <laughs> dig it up. That thing is like 40 feet deep, too. It's crazy. There, you you'd be a, a, amazed at how what that looks like. Mm. JB, we'll let we gotta let you go. We went way over what you gave yeah, us. Yeah, that's okay, man. We I enjoy talking. I need to come back, especially if you guys have that the movie edition. We, we love the movie stuff, and uh, then we'll get into a little cigar tequila thing, too. I think that's right up my alley as well. So, um, yeah, but thank you for, for coming on here. We really enjoyed this conversation. My pleasure, man. That was great. Hope it, yeah. hope it uh, does well for you guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all our sponsorship deals. <laughs> <laughs> hope you get that, that sponsorship. <laughs> no, man, this was awesome. Thank you. We are going to – we'll invite you back. We'll shoot you a text and we can get you back on here. But uh, congrats again on a – Awesome career. You know, that's, we're all obviously really, really proud of you. You're the best. And uh, thanks for coming on, buddy. Appreciate it. One, two, six out. <laughs> See ya.
God. 